Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Brand new CNN polls on policing in America. The lead starts right now. Our poll finds most Americans think policing does need a major overhaul. But does America think the Chauvin conviction is the beginning of real change? Breath of fresh air. The CDC gives new mask guidance for vaccinated Americans. That's frankly great news for the summer. Plus, Alaska meltdown, a lawmaker banned from flying for refusing to wear a mask. She's now going to have plenty of time to think about what she did on her 14-hour commute by car. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we start with breaking news in our politics lead. Brand new CNN polls on policing in America in the wake of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin being found guilty of murdering George Floyd. The polls gauging not only public reaction to that verdict, but how confident Americans are that real policing reform is actually on the horizon. Let's get straight to CNN political director David Chalian for that poll. David, let's start with the guilty verdict. Uh, Are Americans satisfied with that outcome? Yeah, broadly, the answer to that question is yes, Jake. Take a look at these brand new numbers out just now from CNN. 77% of Americans in our brand new poll are satisfied with that verdict. Only 16% say they are dissatisfied. Look at these results when you look at it by race. Uh, you'll see here that 95% of blacks in our poll say they're satisfied with the Joven verdict, 78% satisfied among Latinos, 74% among whites. So again, broad majorities across racial groups. Look at it, though, break, broken out by party. It's a little bit of a different story here. 97% of Democrats are satisfied, 77% of independents, but just a slim majority of Republicans, 53%, say they are satisfied with the verdict there in Minneapolis. David, what do Americans think about policing right now? Do they think it's working fine as it is, or do they support policing reform? Yeah, we see some divisions here, too. Let's look overall first, and you see 18% in our poll say a complete overhaul of policing in America is needed. 35% say major changes are needed. 32% say only minor changes are needed. And 14% say policing in America works pretty well as it is right now. Again, first look at it broken out by race. I think this is really interesting. Add up here 36% and 46%, 82% of blacks in our poll, Jake, say a complete overhaul or major changes are needed. How does that compare to white Americans in our poll? Only 47% of whites say complete overhaul or major changes are needed. The differences are even more stark among party. Again, when you see how Democrats and Republicans are responding differently, add up these top two columns. 79% of Democrats say a complete overhaul or major changes are needed in policing in this country. Compare that down here. 45% of Republicans say only minor changes, and 29% of Republicans say policing in America works pretty well as it is right now. So, David, now let's connect the two. How confident are Americans that right, what we're in right now, this moment, post-George uh, Floyd, uh, that this is a real turning point 
for how black Americans, other minorities will be treated in this country. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mixed result, though. A slim majority, when you look overall, 53% say it is likely that there's going to be real change in how blacks and other racial minorities are treated in the U.S. But a chunky uh, 43% here say they don't think change is likely. And you could look at this by race also, Jake. You see among Latinos, the optimism is sort of highest. 61% among Latinos say there is going to be some change. 54% among blacks. And again, just a bare majority among whites. 51% say it's likely that the treatment of blacks and other racial minorities will change now in America. All right, David Chalian, thanks so much. Sure. Let's discuss this now with two journalists, CNN and Ryan Nobles, who covers Capitol Hill for us, and Zolan Kano-Young's White House correspondent for The New York Times. Zolan, let me start with you. Um, does it surprise you that only about half of Americans think there will be real changes in how people of color are treated in the U.S.? No. I mean, when you talk to criminal justice advocates, when you talk, when you go out to the community and you talk to folks, you know, a lot of people just looking at the history of police reform and also uh, the history where, uh, of inaction when it comes to Congress, uh, uh, they expect uh, the status quo, many people, uh, when you speak to them. Um, and you can also look at uh, what's going on in Congress right now. Uh, for this White House, they have repeatedly said that they support the George Floyd Act. They want that to pass. Um, but obviously, you still have negotiations that are ongoing between Democrats and Republicans and some areas where, you know, Republicans are kind of drawing a red line, um, uh, 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 especially when it comes to certain protections for police officers uh, uh, when it, it, and whether or not they could be sued um, based off of any kind of civil suits. Um, but in the meantime, you are seeing the White House take some actions here and utilizing the tools that they used or, uh, during the Obama administration, and that was curtailed by the Trump administration, um, yeah. both uh, uh, pattern practice investigations as well as consent decrees. And, and Ryan, there is broad support uh, for some changes at the very least, uh, including among Republicans. More than 60 percent of Republicans in this poll said some changes need to be made uh, to policing in America. The minority leader of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, just said he's He's still optimistic a bipartisan deal can be reached on policing reform. Give us a reality check of where the negotiations stand on the policing bill in, in Congress. Yeah, and, and Jake, I think that poll does reflect the, the sentiment here on Cong in Congress. But the big question is, what do those reforms look like? And I think the big difference between some of the negotiations here on Capitol Hill uh, and this conversation about police reform is that while you have senators and members of the House saying that they want bipartisan negotiations on things like infrastructure and health care, a lot of those conversations are being made past each other. This is a conversation that's actually being held face to face in closed door rooms with serious legislators that truly want to come up with a deal. I'm talking about uh, Tim Scott, the Republican from South Carolina, Karen Bass, uh, who is uh, a member of Congress from California, uh, and also Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey. These are three people that trust each other, that truly do want to come to some sort of, of resolution that can bring a bipartisan bill to the floor that can be passed, but there is still major sticking points uh, to get them to that point. Uh, you know, the biggest one being qualified immunity, which we've already talked about. And, and Senator Mitch McConnell today, the, the House uh, Senate Minority Leader, saying that he's worried about things like police recruitment and police retention if something like qualified immunity uh, is implemented. But on the other side of the coin, progressive uh, members of Congress saying they're not going to support a bill that doesn't include getting rid of qualified immunity. So there are still big obstacles here. But, Jake, you do get the sense that both Republicans and Democrats want to see something happen. And Zolan, Senator Tim Scott, the South Carolina Republican who is handling most negotiations 
four Senate Republicans. He says he hasn't spoken to President Biden about policing reform. When asked if he planned to, he said, not really. What role is Biden actually playing here, if any? Jake, so what I've heard is that in the last couple of weeks, really for the White House, it's actually Susan Rice, as well as Cedric Richmond, that have really taken the lead on speaking to both police union officials, uh, FOP, uh, speaking to members of Congress as well and backing that. But this will be a question going forward. You know, as was just discussed, we have these negotiations going on really centering on qualified immunity with Senator Tim Scott, as well as Senator Cory Booker and Karen and Senator Karen Bass. Will the president really put himself out there and and try to push this forward? The momentum thus far in his administration and the attention has been on vaccines. It's been on responding to the pandemic. But we're now at a stage where members of the public are really looking at this issue. It'll be interesting to see both tomorrow during his address and going forward, whether he prioritizes this, not just through uh, uh, his words, but also through action. And, and Ryan, Senator Joe Manchin, the West Virginia Democrat, he's not going to go along with getting rid of the filibuster. So the senators need 60 votes. So they need 10 Republicans. Don't they have to do what Tim Scott wants when it comes to qualified immunity if they want anything done? I think that's exactly right, Jake. There just is not a path to passing this bill with only 51 votes in the Senate. You're going to need 10 Republicans to get on board with any sort of substantive police reform. So that's going to mean concessions from Democrats. Whether or not they're willing to go there to get something over the finish line, I think, is the big question on Capitol Hill right now. All right, Ryan Nobles and Zolan Akino-Youngs, thanks to both of you. Appreciate it. President Biden sweetens the pot, hoping you'll get your shot. The new mass guidance from the CDC that will make vaccinated Americans very happy this summer and pro-Trump news deleting a BS story about Kamala Harris, the vice president, but not before it went viral, of course. In our health lead today, new incentives to get vaccinated from President Biden. This afternoon, he announced new guidelines from the CDC for those who have been fully vaccinated. For those who haven't gotten their vaccination yet, especially if you're younger or think you don't need it, this is another great reason to go get vaccinated now, now. President Biden trying to personalize the benefits of getting vaccinated as the number of shots given out each day is dwindling, walking out to his press conference wearing a mask and then not putting it back on as he walked back to the Oval Office. CNN's Caitlin Collins reports from the White House. President Biden touting new CDC mask guidelines for the fully vaccinated. Starting today, if you're fully vaccinated and you're outdoors, you need, and not in a big crowd, you no longer need to wear a mask. Those who are vaccinated can walk, run, bike, gather, and dine outdoors in small groups safely without a mask. But the president and the CDC director stopped short of telling vaccinated Americans to drop their masks completely. I want to be absolutely clear. If you're in a crowd like a stadium or at a conference or a concert, you still need to wear a mask. CDC director Rochelle Walensky says that's because it's difficult to tell who's vaccinated and who isn't in a crowded setting. As more people get vaccinated and as case rates continue to come down, we will come up with um, further updates. President Biden selling the new guidance as an incentive to get vaccinated. Especially if you're younger or think you don't need it, 
This is another great reason to go get vaccinated. Now. Now. At least 26 states still have strict outdoor mask requirements in place. Asked if governors should change their mandates accordingly, Dr. Walensky agreed. If people are vaccinated, we no longer feel that the vaccinated people require masks outdoors. But as supply begins to outstrip demand in the U.S., federal health officials are trying to send a message to those who have hesitated to get vaccinated. You're vaccinated, guess, guess what? You get to return to a more normal lifestyle. If you're not vaccinated, you're still a danger. You, you're still in danger as well, so get vaccinated. President Biden hammering that message home today. The bottom line is clear. If you're vaccinated, you can do more things, more safely, both outdoors as well as indoors. And Jake, the White House says that President Biden himself will be following this new CDC guidance when it comes to not having to wear a mask when you're outdoors, uh, depending on, of course, what size of group you are in. But when it comes to tomorrow night and that address he's giving in front of Congress, there have been some questions about whether or not he has to follow the House rules about wearing a mask while he's in the chamber. We are now being told that he will be wearing a mask when he arrives there tomorrow night. He is going to still be wearing that mask as he walks down the aisle past the members who, of course, are seated there. It'll be a lot fewer than typically are there. And then he will take that mask off while he gives his speech and put it back on Jake as he walks back down the aisle to leave the building and go back to the White House. Right, because he'll be indoors, of course. Uh, Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. I want to bring in Dr. Peter Hotez. He's the dean of the School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College. He's also out with a new book called Preventing the Next Pandemic. Dr. Hotez, thanks for joining us. So many cities and states require its citizens, their citizens, to wear masks outdoors based on prior recommendations from the CDC. Uh, but but uh, people who are not vaccinated, they should, should they still wear masks outdoors if they're not vaccinated? Certainly if they're in close contact with, with other individuals. And, and, you know, sometimes you don't know. You could be outside, think you're in a relatively isolated area, then you come along with a group and they could be shedding virus. So that's where the confusion lies. I mean, Jake, I think... The thing that I haven't really heard from the CDC and, and the federal government, which I think would be really helpful for the American people, is to put masks or no masks in, in, term, in context. By that, I mean they need to basically explain that what's happening is a gradual loosening of restrictions. We heard about version 1.0. What happens if you're vaccinated a few weeks ago? The, today we came out with version 2.0. There's going to be a version 3.0 and a version 4.0. And the 4.0 version is going to be what happens after the American people are fully vaccinated, if we can reach there. And then because of the performance features of the vaccine, which not only halt uh, symptomatic illness, but asymptomatic transmission up to 90 percent or more. What that means, if we can fully vaccinate the American people, uh, that means all of the adults and most of the adolescents we can get back to a country that looks like it did in 2019 in mm -hmm. terms of what our activities are uh, in restaurants and, and uh, being with friends and concert venues and, and sporting events and even uh, domestic travel. But the only exception is because there's so few countries like the U.S. that will be fully vaccinated by then. We'll have limits on our international travel. And that's where we have to project. And we have to explain that to the American people and then say, 
we still have a pretty screaming high level of transmission in the country right now. We're right. still at the place where we were last summer. And and that's why we're going in bits and pieces, and this is how the, there's going to be a gradual loosening. And I think that would be more effective and really help people understand where we're heading. So CNN has a medical analyst named Dr. Lena Wen. She believes the public health guidance uh, from the CDC has been disconnected from everyday reality. Take a listen. I think we can tell people, here are all these activities that once were high risk, get vaccinated, they are now lower risk. But once they get vaccinated, Go and do things. We encourage you to do things like travel. We want you to do it safely, but please go see your friends and family. I think that kind of message will have a lot more resonance than here are all the things you can't do. So Dr. Wen wants to see guidelines tailored towards reducing risks, reduction of risks, rather than eliminating risks. Do you agree? Yeah, and I think we're saying the same thing. What I just laid out is they're they're not laying out a roadmap for the American people uh, to follow. And by the way, even after the country is fully vaccinated, transmission is going to go way down. It may not disappear entirely. It may go close to containment mode. So the risk is never, or at least in the foreseeable future, going to go down to zero. And that has to be explained as well. But that's okay. It doesn't mean we can't get back to something that closely resembles a a normal life. And that's what I'd like to see that roadmap laid out, project where we're headed, why we're doing what we're doing. Instead, we kind of get these facts and factoids and bits and pieces of things and there's no synthesis there's no it's it's not tied together there's there's still you know we're we're still talking to the american people like they're in the fourth grade or sixth grade and 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 it's and we could do better than that there are a lot of companies who will give their employees paid time off to go get vaccinated um if you show your vaccine card you can get a free donut at krispy kreme uh there's a movie theater in chicago that'll give you free popcorn if you have, have proof of a vaccine, there's a marijuana dispensary near Detroit that will give you a free joint if you can show proof that you were vaccinated. Are these incentives good? Uh, this, will this help people get vaccinated to, so we get to the herd immunity phase? I, I think it'll help a little bit. I don't think little trinkets like that do any harm, little modest gifts. They're kind of fun. I think doing something more extensive and giving big dollars, I think that would be a mistake. It also sends a, a terrible message to the rest of the world um, when the rest of the world is clamoring for vaccines. So we don't want to be seen as having to give excessive bribes to people to get vaccinated. So we do have to keep in mind our, our stature uh, in the world as well. And, you know, how much of those those little incentives help? I don't know. I don't think they're so harmful, um, but we, we need to lop off the big piece and, and really help uh, look at what the big segments of the country are that are refusing to get vaccinated and and start chipping away at that, because that's the component that I really worry about. Because remember, Jake, right now, we already know 20 percent of the country cannot get vaccinated. Those are people under the age of 12. We don't have uh, they can't access vaccines and we don't have the safety and efficacy data for that. So right away, we're down to 80 percent. That's about the level where um, we have to actually reach in order to interrupt transmission. So effectively, that means every adult and every adolescent. And so we have to look at the what the polls are saying in terms of who are the most vaccine hesitant groups and then concentrate our efforts to persuade those groups and, and, and work on our messaging there. Uh, and, and I don't know that we're doing that either. According to CDC data, of those people getting COVID vaccines, more people are now getting their second shot versus those just getting their first shot. 
What do you make of the slowdown? Uh, the slow, yeah, I mean, I am worried about it because we did peak at 3.4 million a day. Now we're going back down to around 2.6 million immunizations a day. So I, I'm worried that we haven't really addressed uh, the groups that are already telling us they're not going to get vaccinated. And that's where we have to redouble our, our efforts and, and reach out to those groups. And that's something I'm trying to do now on a regular basis. So, and Dr. Hotez, you also believe it's time to be more aggressive about confronting misinformation, disinformation, lies from anti-vaxxers, uh, some of them uh, in prominent uh, perches in government and, and media. Who needs to take the lead on confronting this false information? Well, I think first we have to get our arms around it. I mean, right now it looks to me there's, there's three big buckets of anti-vaccine disinformation. Um, one of them is uh, dedicated anti-vaccine groups that now dominate the internet, dominate social media, are peddling fake books on Amazon. I think those are groups that have to be confronted. These are homegrown groups in the US. I think the second are, we have political action committees coming out of the extreme right uh, that started here in Texas and Oklahoma. And now this is expanded across the conservative uh, conservative elements of our society and and unfortunately across the Republican Party, we have four news polls that actually point to that from Monmouth University and Quinnipiac and um, uh, Kaiser Family Foundation. Uh, we also have PBS NewsHour all pointing to 40 to 46 percent of people who identify themselves as Republicans yeah. who refuse to get vaccinated. We have to work on that. And finally, not, not many people are aware of this, is the Russian government. So the Putin government um, this has been reported by U.S. and British intelligence is launching, has launched a very aggressive program of what's being called weaponized health communication to actually take advantage of this and destabilize our democracy. And they're doing it around vaccines. So those three have to be confronted. All right, Dr. Peter Hotez, thanks so much. Appreciate it. One state lawmaker's mask meltdown resulting in one airline suspending her. Now it takes her more than half a day to drive to work. Stay with us. Lies and consequences. A Republican Alaska state lawmaker is now banned from the only airline that can fly her from Anchorage to her job at the state capitol in Juneau. Alaska Airlines says she repeatedly refused to wear a mask. Senator Laura Reinbold, known for pushing COVID conspiracy theories, now has to drive more than 14 hours across the Canadian border and then take a ferry to vote. CNN's Pete Montine reports for us now. The state senator claims that she went to, quote, new heights to serve Alaska, but she's grounded for now. Alaska State Senator Laura Reinbold was a frequent flyer of Alaska Airlines, but the carrier says confrontations like this one in the Juneau Airport became too frequent. It was after this flight that Alaska Airlines said in a statement that Reinbold is suspended from flying for her continued refusal to comply with the federal mandate to wear a mask when traveling. A ban, Reinbold says in a new radio interview, that she learned of via email. She claims she has a mask exemption, but did not specify what it is. It was just completely blew me away what, what, that, that they wouldn't even get my side of the story didn't do due process, and yet they issued a, a punishment. Reinbold is a firebrand in Alaska politics. In February, she was admonished by the state's Republican governor for spreading lies about coronavirus. And this month, she was booted from leading a state Senate committee. Now, she'll have a problem just getting to work. 
Alaska Airlines is the only carrier that flies from her home district near Anchorage to the state capital in Juneau. Reinbold will now drive hundreds of miles into Canada and take a five-hour ferry, a journey she documented on Facebook. Beautiful Alaska. Masks have been mandated on commercial flights during the Biden administration. The Transportation Security Administration has received 2,000 reports of passengers refusing to wear masks. But Sarah Nelson of the Association of Flight Attendants says enforcement has been up to airline employees who Reinbold once insulted as mask bullies. The rules don't shift just because of what your title is. There's no uh, special considerations because you think that you are special in some way. That's the message here is that in aviation, we're all equal. The FAA tells me it's looking into this incident. In fact, it just fined three passengers new fines as high as $30,000. The FAA has a zero-tolerance policy against unruly passengers, and Jake Reinbold is not returning my request for an interview. What a shock. Pete Montine, thanks so much. The New York Post had to make a correction after it ran a bogus story about Vice President Kamala Harris before they made the edit on Tuesday. Republicans, including Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel, and at least one 2024 presidential hopeful spread the false story. The story claimed without any actual evidence that copies of the vice president's children's book titled Superheroes Are Everywhere were being given to migrant kids at a California shelter in their welcome kits. RNC Chair McDaniel tweeted about the story just yesterday saying falsely, quote, after learning officials are handing out Kamala Harris's book, is she profiting from Biden's border crisis, unquote. The answer, of course, is no. The story's a lie. CNN's Daniel Dale tracked this down. And it was actually, Daniel, you you found out just one book that had been donated to one migrant center for kids in California. And all those mendacious tweets from Ronna McDaniel and the lawmakers, they're still up. And there's even a new New York Post story with an editor's note. Yeah, so this this whole thing was complete nonsense. This was, according to the city of Long Beach, California, where the shelter is located, a community book drive for migrant children at this new temporary shelter at which all kinds of books were donated, none of which were put in migrants' welcome kits. They were made available in an informal library for the children to pick out if they chose. Now, somehow from a single photo taken by a local photographer of Vice President Harris's children's book on a cot, the post turned that into copies of Harris's book being given out in these welcome kits. And they even said on the Post Saturday front page, a cover story, they said the books were being given out illegally. So accusing the shelter or someone of lawbreaking based on nothing at all. Now, the Post today temporarily deleted both this story and another story that was related to it. They then republished both of them, making substantial corrections without calling them corrections. They called them an editor's note, uh, and this time acknowledging it was one book, it was donated, wasn't being given to everyone, wasn't being put in welcome kids, Jake. And yet a whole bunch of senators and members of the House and the Republican National Committee chair tweeted out this lie. Their tweets are still up. Has the White House had anything to say? Yeah, so Vice President Harris's office basically said she had no idea that a single copy of her book was donated to a shelter in California, which makes obviously makes sense. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about this yesterday by a Fox News reporter who asserted that the story was true in the premise of his question. She said she, she had to get back to him. She didn't know what, what he was talking about. And she also joked that she heard that this was a good book. And this comes after uh, a, an anchor at a MAGA media station admitted that his show made a, a, a completely false claim about Biden restricting Americans' red meat consumption. 
Um, has the New York Post said anything about its own inaccurate reporting the way that was done? It, it hasn't. I, I asked for a comment from the Post. They haven't issued an apology. They haven't issued a formal retraction. They did post the editor's note, but I don't think that's sufficient, frankly, when you spread this entirely baseless nonsense that goes viral widely in conservative media. You can't just attach a, an editor's note tweaking the story to the bottom. I think you have to do something more substantial. And Jake, that just hasn't happened. Look, reporters make mistakes. There are sources get things wrong, but then there's just making crap up and politicians regurgitating it. Daniel Dale, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Poisoning, hacking, military aggression. Just 100 days in and President Biden has quite a bit to discuss with Vladimir Putin. CNN learning details of a potential summit. Those details already being hammered out. That's next. Then, is it Iran? The withdrawal from Afghanistan? China cyber attacks? We're going to discuss the biggest global threats facing the U.S. right now with the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken. That's live, and that's coming up. In our world lead, the White House now hammering out details of a possible summit between President Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin, one that could happen early this summer. It's a meeting that's expected to be remarkably different, I think it's fair to say, from the last time the presidents from these two powers met. As I'm willing to bet, President Biden will not side with Putin over U.S. intelligence, for example. CNN White House reporter Natasha Bertrand joins me now. And Natasha, from poisonings to prisoners to hacking, a lot for these two to discuss. Is it it definitely going to happen? So the White House is still hammering out details about whether this summit is actually going to occur and when. Of course, there could be some preconditions for when the summit actually does occur because the Russians, of course, have been very aggressive on the border of eastern Ukraine. And they have shown very little sign of actually keeping to their word on de-escalating there. And the Pentagon has said that they are not exactly confident that the Russians are going to uh, follow through and remove all of their forces from the border There's also the question of Alexei Navalny, the opposition leader there, and his health. Um, He's in prison right now, and his health is deteriorating rapidly. So all of these things are factoring into whether or not the summit is actually going to take place. But details are being worked out in the event that it does. Uh, For example, some countries have already volunteered to host a summit. Um, Vienna has has said that it would be happy to host uh, a presidential summit between the two leaders. So I think right now what we're waiting to see is whether there are any preconditions for that. Uh, The president did not answer a question today about whether uh, he would cancel a summit or whether there would be any conditions um, uh, for for such a meeting. So many um, problems with what the Russians are doing right now. We just heard Dr. Hotez talk about Russian disinformation about vaccines. We've been covering on the story of the two former U.S. Marines that are in Russian jails right now on trumped-up charges. And then you just mentioned the fact that Russia and their military action in, in Ukraine, both Crimea and, of course, in eastern Crimea. How are the Ukrainians, I'm sorry, eastern Ukraine, how are the, the Ukrainians feeling about this? They're very nervous about this, understandably, because when you have these kind of two great world powers that are going to meet over your head, essentially, is what, how experts put it to me, then it's natural to be nervous about you know, having this kind of influence in the region that you might not necessarily be fully uh, a part of. And so that's why they really want uh, President Biden to sit down with the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, before any meeting with Vladimir Putin takes place, because they want to work out uh, kind of the details of, engage- of U.S. engagement with Russia and whether there's going to be any kind of, um, you know, abandonment of, of Ukraine as an ally for 
for uh, the U.S.-Russia relationship to thrive. So I think they're really hoping that when Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, goes to Ukraine uh, early uh, next month, as soon as next week even, they're hoping that he can reassure uh, his Ukrainian counterparts that they're not going to be sold down the river here, that there is going to be uh, a place for Ukraine um, in the U.S. uh, relationship, and, and that they are confident in the U.S. support for the relationship there. And the stakes, you have to feel like they're pretty high for Biden Uh, especially after what we just went through as a country when it came to Russian interference in the 2016 election, potential uh, uh, attempted interference in the 2020 election, and and just the the Trump-Putin relationship. So uh, this, this, in a way, raises the stakes for Biden. They are very high, and I think the Biden administration will not say, of course, that they want to do a reset with Russia, because that would imply that they would just simply forget about all of Russia's malign behavior and activities in the past. And so I think they're taking a new approach. They're saying, look, we can cooperate where we can. We can talk about mutual interests. Um, But at the same time, we're going to hold you accountable in a way that the previous president was never willing to do, at least not publicly and on the world stage. All right, Natasha Bertrand. Great to have you here. Thanks so much. Congratulations uh, on coming to CNN. We're, we're really happy to have you. Thank you. The FBI is now getting involved in the police shooting death of Andrew Brown Jr. in North Carolina. Uh, what are they saying about the case? That's next. In our national lead, the FBI says it has opened a civil rights investigation into the deadly police shooting of Andrew Brown Jr. in North Carolina last week. The announcement comes just hours after Brown's family released a private autopsy result which found that he had been fatally shot in the back of the head. The back of the head. Let's get straight to CNN's Brian Todd in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Brian, what do we know about this FBI investigation? Jake, the FBI just making that announcement this afternoon saying that they are investigating this as a civil rights matter along with the Department of Justice and the U.S. Attorney for Eastern North Carolina to ensure that basically everything in this investigation is above board because simply there is... Uh, Not a great deal of trust in the way the sheriff's department has handled this, in the way the local county attorney has handled this. They've come under a lot of criticism from uh, Andrew Brown's family, and the FBI has decided to jump in and launch this civil rights investigation. There is still just a lot of outrage in the community and among Andrew Brown's family and their representatives uh, just over the fact that transparency has not been forthcoming in the six days now since Andrew Brown was killed. We do not have more than 20 seconds of body camera footage that anyone's been able to look at, and none of us have been able to look at it. Only Andrew Brown's family has been able to look at that footage, and they're not satisfied with it. They're convinced that there's more there. Uh, The sheriff has said there's only about 30 seconds uh, on the footage that really covers the entire incident, but basically, Jake, we're told that there are probably eight body camera videos from eight different deputies that captured this thing in some way, shape, or form. And we're not seeing hardly any of it. So uh, the FBI deciding to jump into this today. Well, the lack of transparency is certainly not helping matters. Uh, Brian, uh, moments ago, Senator Cory Booker, a Democrat of New Jersey, one of the few uh, African-Americans in the Senate, he he joined calls from the Elizabeth City, North Carolina mayor and the state's governor for all of the body camera video to be made public. Are we getting, is there any indication we're, we're getting any closer to that happening? We could be, Jake. Uh, A judge is going to hear a lot of these petitions tomorrow uh, in a courtroom not far from here. 
and could order that this be released. I mean, look, you've got the governor now calling for it, the, the state's attorney calling for it, obviously the family of Andrew Brown calling for it. Uh, you know, almost even the sheriff himself has said he favors the release of this, but it's got to come, you know, with a court order. So there is an enormous amount of pressure to get this released to the public. We may know more in about 24 hours after a judge hears this case. And Brian, faith leaders are calling for independent investigators to take over the situation. Why? Because the trust level here, Jake, has just basically spun out of control, meaning there is hardly any trust in the way the local authorities have been handling this. Faith leaders are fed up. Uh, they're joining members of the Brown family. They've, they've been kind of you know, working uh, in tandem with them uh, throughout the week and with their representatives. And uh, look, everybody in this community is fed up. You see it on the street. You see it around here. Uh, they just feel there's a collective feeling in this community uh, among people on Andrew Brown's side of everything here that authorities are trying to hide something. Now, if they're not, they're not doing a very good job of illustrating that, frankly. Um, and there's just a feeling that everyone is a little bit fed up. Get the video out already. Let us make our own conclusions. Faith leaders jumping into that fight as well. And, and Brian, there have been protests uh, since last week. Tell us more about that. Right. I mean, these protests, Jake, have been very, very peaceful. Hardly any incidents at all to speak of. Really, almost none. Uh, we've been with them every single night. They've been marching from this location to certain areas uh, of, a, you know, of a main drag along uh, Erringhouse Street, which is not far from here. That's a main drag here in Elizabeth City that has a lot of uh, restaurants, stores, and businesses. Their strategy has been to disrupt commerce, to block intersections, but to do so in a very peaceful way. That's the leverage that they have. That's what is making their point. That's what's getting their side of this out there, and that's what's putting pressure on the authorities to release this footage. It's all come off without a hitch, really. It's been very, very peaceful. Tonight, there's a curfew in place uh, starting about uh, three hours or so from now, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, because they, uh, the authorities are just saying... As a measure of caution, we want to institute a curfew from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. the next day to make sure that uh, there is not unrest if this body camera video is released or even if it isn't. But I can tell you that the protests here have been very, very peaceful so far, Jay. All right. Brian Todd, thank you so much. Coming up, going to dinner outdoors with a friend, what you need to know about the new CDC mask guidance, plus the school where teachers are being told they will lose their jobs if they get vaccinated, then... Secretary of State Antony Blinken will join me live at the top of the hour to talk about China, immigration, America standing on the world stage, and much more. Stay with us. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 